online, on Radio Player, and on 106.6 FM. This is Wickham Sound, the Wickham Wanderers Show. Welcome along to our Christmas Eve special of the Wickham Wanderers Show. Well, I say special, it just happens to be on Christmas Eve. It's exciting though, isn't it? Do you feel Christmassy? Oh, very, very Christmassy. Looking forward to the festive fixtures. Santa's on his way, and so are three points for Wickham on Boxing Day. Fingers oh, crossed. That's quite catchy. Oh, yeah, you know, yeah. We could we could turn it in. Next year, we could do the Christmas single, the Wickham Wanderers <laughs> Show Christmas single. Yeah, we've got... Santa's what? on his way. Got a year to plan that. Yes. Uh, thank you so much for having us on. Uh, coming up in this special, as we're calling it, uh, we'll be uh, giving you another chance to catch up with our interview with uh, Wickham Wanderers' second most successful manager, Martin O'Neill. Uh, that was uh, very well received, so we've got that. And uh, we've got some, well, I wouldn't call them outtakes, would you? <laughs> uh, no, uh, lowlights, I think, was how I <laughs> described them. Uh, bits that didn't quite go as planned, uh, mainly featuring me or Wickham Wanderers uh, players and staff. Uh, also, we'll be hearing from Pete Kiwig on uh, what was at the time uh, going into Tier 3, but now, of course, we've been promoted to Tier 4. <laughs> yes, or relegated, depending <laughs> on which way you want to look at it, really. So we'll look back at the QPR game, look ahead to Bristol City uh, this evening as well. Plus, uh, I must say congratulations to Ryan Comley uh, from Amersham, who is our winner of last week's competition. We teamed up uh, with Claude Bernard, who was the official Wickham Wanderers watch supplier and we asked you uh, to tell us what was the uh, the time, clever. Yes, of, it was. Uh, Wickham Wanderers' first it's championship a, goal. Sounds like somebody who'd have like a Bosman sort of like you know transfer, wouldn't he? Claude Bernard, he, he signed for Wickham on a free. Uh, it was the answer was nine minutes, incidentally, uh, with the question of course being the first time of the first championship goal. Uh, Scott Cashkett scoring it after nine minutes in our game against Millwall. What a fantastic uh, occasion, and great to be there as well. It was, it was, it was very good, uh, and it was so just a relief that actually a we scored a goal, and b that we we scored the goal because there was definitely a bit of talk around that you know you, you know how this season's going to go. We're going to get and we're going to score an own goal as our first goal, but no, it was Scott Cashcat. wasn't exactly the the nicest goal you'll ever see, but you know they all count. Talking of goals, got a goal on Saturday. We did, yes. And it's Mametti stepping up right towards the end of our game against QPR, and I was just beginning to to actually think. I can't quite see us scoring this half. Um, and throughout the season, I keep tweeting things and normally the wrong way around. So normally I will tweet saying, wow, you know, lots of Wickham pressure, looking really hopeful. You know, you know, you can see the goal coming. And then we go 2-0 down. Uh, well, on Saturday, it was completely the other way around. I was about to try, I was in mid-type of saying, I can't really see where the goal's coming from this afternoon. And then Anis Mometi stepped up and, and, and equalised. Because you must have gone into that game. We've spoken before about thinking that QPR are not on a great run. They're one of those teams that we can really... I'm doing the same strange hand signal. They're one of those... <laughs> it works well on radio. <laughs> It's like a very small melon I'm holding, I don't know why. Um, they're one of those teams that you think, oh, we can get something against them. I mean, I think also that is actually the importance to our survival, is that really the game on Saturday was a six-pointer, in that I think QPR will be one of those teams in and around, as they say, Wickham Wanderers at the end of the season. And it's vital that actually those are games that we get points out of, because clearly if we get the three points and QPR don't, that makes a big difference. It's all well and good getting draws against the big teams say the Watfords um, you know we were so close against Norwich we were so close against Bournemouth uh, at getting points but actually it's the teams in and around us down at the bottom that, that those are the games that we really need to win particularly now in the second half of the season uh, and so it was good that at least we managed to get a draw against QPR shame that we didn't didn't get a win um, but you know onwards and upwards and Bristol City again now you look at a team that aren't actually on a fantastic run at the moment uh, considering where they were earlier on this season so I think we'll be going there you know with hope and as Gareth keeps saying it's not a team that nobody really will want to play Wickham Wanderers at the moment we are that sort of banana skin type team and great to have Alice Mamati as another source of goals. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he does look so exciting. He, you know, he is a fantastic prospect. He's one of those players that you think, yeah, one day we're going to be seeing him uh, grace the Premier League. Brilliant that he's at Wickham. Really, really well done to Gareth and all the team for actually picking him up. Obviously, he was released by Norwich, came into our B team. Well, he hasn't, uh, a bit like us being in Tier 3, he hasn't really stayed in the B team for very long, has he? Um, uh, and Topical. Yeah. You know, he he is going to be great uh, and brilliant that he got his first goal on Saturday. And Bob spoke to Gareth after the game to find out a little more uh, about uh, the goal scorer and uh, how he came to be at the club. He's come, uh, he's released by Norwich. You've got to give credit to Bob Rickwood and Sam Grace who, who put the B team together. You know, they they uh, they saw Anish, they brought him in on trial. Uh, he shone. Oh, there's the stadium falling apart. <laughs> I don't worry, we're okay. Um, 
he, he came in and he's impressed in the B team. Uh, but I also have to give some credit to Rob Kuig for having the foresight to start a B team and to start the structure that this club has been crying out for. You know, We've had a fantastic academy going back 15 years before I was in charge. Jordan Ibe, Matty Phillips, Courtney House, you know, players who are playing in the Premier League and Championship week in, week out now, you know, and, and, and Jordan's money probably saved this club from uh, from going out of business at one stage. So that proves that there is there is this uh, this income from these youngsters. It's just getting the right youngsters in. So Rob has had the foresight to go, right, let's not just plough everything into the first team. Let's not try and plough everything just to survive, like mistakes so many clubs have made. Let's start this youngster sort of development squad and, uh, and Anis has become part of that and believe me I think Anis will probably pay for that tenfold because he's he's going to be an asset for this club it's brilliant to have him and for him to score his first championship goal is just phenomenal really proud of him it's been coming He scored some absolute bangers in training um, and um, yeah just really proud of the young young Albanian kid today he's a, he's a great talent to have um, and he's come up with the goods we could have had a few more, I thought, a few good chances today, but um, unfortunately it just wasn't to be. It must be quite frustrating as well to be you in the fact that the referee didn't give the handball and that also we scored an own goal. Yet again, the opposition didn't really have to work very hard to, to, to get the ball in our net. Listen, I'll back every single one of my players, um, no matter. That's that's where we are at Wickham, you know, because I know they back me. Um, the moment we start pointing fingers is, is the moment that it's gone wrong here and... Uh, we win and lose, we live and die together and that's how it'll always be. Own goals, goals for, referees' decisions, no matter what, all I can say is those boys are sold together in that dressing room, you wouldn't believe it. Um, I'm really proud of what we've got here at Wickham Wanderers and uh, I'm looking forward to proving everyone wrong and staying in this championship. And I think you could tell that it obviously was a handball because Josh and I, I've never seen him look so cross. <laughs> the, the, wor- the worrying thing was we lost our heads as a team for five minutes and I'm not surprised because it is blatant, but you've got to get your heads back in the game. Let me deal with the referee afterwards. Um, but um, I was pleased that QPR didn't score their one free kick chance that they had when our heads were all over the place. Um, Ryan Allsup's luckily was there, but um, yeah, unfortunate. It seems to have gone against us again today. Um, it's what you get when you're at the bottom of the league, so... Let's get off that bottom of the league, boys, and uh, we might get some decisions going for us. And we've got Bristol City on Boxing Day, a team that started off very well, not quite so well uh, recently. Yeah, they're beatable as well. Um, I watched Preston last night um, beat them, and uh, and we took Preston all the way and should have won that game. So this this league's open. You know, there's, two, there's about four or five teams at the top of the league which will probably be there. You know, the, the three that came down, I'm no doubt, are going to be there at the end of the season. Um, and maybe one or two others. But apart from that, I think we're in a pretty competitive position. And uh, like I say, let's get above three teams and make sure that our fans can come here next season and watch championship football. Because at the moment, it doesn't look like anyone's coming back soon. And finally, on that point, I know that there'll be a lot of depressed Chairboys fans today for the fact that they weren't allowed in. Also, during the game, as possibly you're aware, we've now had the news that we're in Tier 4 from tomorrow. So even more restrictions. Have you got a Christmas message for the Wickham fans? Uh, <laughs> Thank you so much, right, because you've given me a great Christmas year after year with your support, um, and I am to deliver your present in May, and that will be Championship Survival. Definitely look forward to that. It's, it's not great as it goes into the Christmas period, bottom of the table, but no. uh, as Gareth says, it, it's still close. Anyone can beat anybody. Plenty of points to play for. Um, it's a season of two halves. Yeah, all, all of those. But, all, you know, they're, they're cliches, really, because they're true. Yes. But, but yes, you know, uh, and you look at last season and you look at Luton and you look at Barnsley, who at this time looked completely gone and people were saying, oh, you know, yeah, they'll definitely be in League One. You do start picking up those points, particularly, you know, it shouldn't be the case, but particularly when you can sort of see that, oh, well, if we win this game, it's going to make a massive difference to the end of the season. You know, that's all well and good in, in I was going to say August, but obviously this year it was September. Uh, whereas we all know that actually March, April, when you're really staring relegation in the face, that that's the time when actually those teams at the bottom are really hard to play. And I think that will definitely be us. You know, I know we've said it again time and again on this programme. We've not been outclassed in any game other than the Blackburn game this season. We do look like a championship side, albeit a championship side down the bottom of the table. But we're certainly not um, in the role of, say, FA Cup giant killers every game. You know, we are actually looking like we are now established in the championship. And players like Scott Cashgett, uh, you know, really do look very, very comfortable. Jack Grimmer uh, had, a, had a really good game uh, on Saturday. Uh, another one who, who looks comfortable at this level. I was wondering, because you've actually been to the games, but does it feel 
still like we've not really played that many championship fixtures although it looks a bit you know 20 seems quite it, a lot doesn't it it really does um it, it's it's a surprise to discover that we are now almost halfway through the fixtures because the season doesn't seem to have lasted nearly as long as it normally would i know it only started a month later but yes it's a sort of a surprise both ways it's like oh goodness me we really have crammed those fixtures in haven't we the schedule when you look at it actually in the new year it does get a little bit easier it's not quite as you know tuesday wednesday night then saturday then another tuesday wednesday um so that's good but i also think it's a little bit dangerous as well that that we must realize well yeah you know we are now halfway through the season it really is time to start picking up the performances Gareth has said to me a lot after the good performances, he said it again um, against Bournemouth on the Tuesday night, was that if we play like that, we're not going to go down. And I think the the thing that we need to start doing is we need to start playing like we do against the Bournemouths and against the top sides, against the QPRs and against the Barnsleys and against the Rotherhams, because that, as I said earlier, that I think is the key to survival. It's great to play well against Bournemouth. You know, it's real testimony to the to the side, to Gareth, to the coaching staff. But the games where we need to really start performing and taking it to those teams are the teams that are going to be down with us at the end of the season, because that's how we're going to survive. I hope the players are listening. Bob to be your new manager. <laughs> No, I wouldn't be very good at that. <laughs> it's the Wicked Wanderers show, Christmas edition, still to come. We'll hear from Martin O'Neill and some uh, a, a collaboration, that might not be the right word, of our, of our lighter, hearted moments of the show. But off air, you mentioned that there was quite a different atmosphere um, at Adams Park on Saturday. There really was. Uh, so when we arrived, the news about Tier 4 it hadn't obviously been confirmed because Boris didn't speak um, to the nation until I think it was 4 o'clock, but there were definitely rumours already. Um, normally, before the game, even when the fans aren't there, there is a bit of a buzz. There's a bit of a buzz in the press area there obviously with the players uh, and the the coaching staff you know there's a bit of an atmosphere on Saturday it was very noticeable straight away that actually people weren't necessarily focusing or, or certainly I mean, the players of course were but actually everybody else in the stadium wasn't focusing 100% on the football because suddenly this news was coming through about here for about the fact that actually people's Christmas plans were you know were basically in jeopardy and so yeah the whole place uh, it, it was a sort of I wouldn't say sombre that's possibly overstating it slightly but it certainly it wasn't the usual buzz that you got on a Saturday afternoon even when the fans aren't there um, it was wonderful that we managed to get that equaliser because had we not got that I think actually quite a lot of people um, of the the light blue and dark blue persuasion would have been going home slightly depressed uh, but yes Anis Mometi came to to our rescue to, to cheer us up uh, but Pete Kuhig has been very very vocal about this um, and has particularly when it, when the news about tier three were, was uh, released uh, was very very annoyed I think is probably the way to say it partly because he clearly is someone who actually does study the data he's not actually speaking with regards to the fact that fans aren't being allowed in the stadium. He's actually speaking generally, um, you know, as somebody who now lives in this country, about what he feels, and he's looked at the data, and he doesn't necessarily feel that actually the restrictions are fair. Um, he spoke to Sky Sports News, really, really interesting interview. It was a little bit of a surprise. Our, our staff had been working incredibly hard to get everything right for the pilot event, to get everything right for the 2000 event. Uh, things went off without a hitch. There were no problems. Um, everybody felt the comments that we got with everybody felt safer than here than they than at a grocery store. Um, it's uh, honestly, I'm angry. Um, our staff has spent a lot of time getting ready, doing everything right, uh, and now we just got to shut it off. And 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 it's not like we couldn't, we didn't, we had to work hard, we had to get ready. And now, 48 hours before the event, it just gets pulled. So, yeah, it's frustrating. Pete, are you angry because it's, you think it's the wrong decision or just because of the upheaval and the implications financially looking to the future? Both. Uh, yeah, I do think it's the wrong decision. Um, you know, our MP, Steve Baker, was surprised as well, and I think it's because uh, we're both stats nerds who actually look at um, underlying factors. Uh, yeah, I, I really thought um, at least South Bucks could escape it. Um, you know, there's obviously a couple of hot spots in uh, in Buckinghamshire that that brought the numbers up. But I mean, you know, to be completely honest, when you look at the numbers uh, of all the factors they're supposed to be considering, yeah, it's a shock. 
Pete, you mentioned those underlying factors. I'm interested uh, by that. So what are those factors that you think would have uh, made this a, a different outcome had they been considered? Uh, I mean, without going into the details, I don't have it in front of me. Um, I'm a stats nerd, so I don't like uh, just coming up with them out of my mouth without yeah. looking at them. Um, uh, you know, and it was yesterday. And I'm going to admit, I went out and got a pint last night before this entire town gets locked down. Yeah, I don't blame you. Look, I mean, look, last uh, last month or earlier this month, uh, this, you had fans back for uh, the Stoke game after nine months without them. I, I suppose you must have felt, look, we've turned a corner and and on we go. But um, just, uh, you know, what was it like to have those fans that's back? Really where, that's really what it is. That's absolutely what it is uh, that probably stems most of my anger was seeing how well-behaved people could be, how, how people paid attention to the rules. We're obviously the most regulated uh, business in England as far as uh, supporters coming into the ground. And so they want to be here, so they followed the rules. Uh, I went around and I, I talked to the police. I talked to the security. Everybody was happy with what we did. Um, but I guess the central government just came up with a little bit different decision than... In the last couple of weeks, um, really just the shifting sands under our feet is uh, making a very difficult business even more difficult. So, yeah, I mean, it's just it's very frustrating running a football club right now. I can promise you that. And, and you, you're just feeling that there's no consistency or continuity with the, the decisions being made by government and, and that is actually impacting football and and damaging things potentially for the future. Look, I know their job is hard. Uh, I know some tough decisions are having to be made. Uh, but they're not giving me a lot of confidence right now, and I hate to say that because I have a tremendous respect for how difficult uh, governmental bodies are, regulatory bodies are, and I know these are crazy times. Uh, but if, if the definition of insanity is keeping doing the same thing over and over again, and the more data we have, the more understanding we have of this virus, it feels like some, some different approaches could be taken. Um, and they're not even trying, it doesn't seem like it. So uh, it's just, it, it, I, I, I'm sure I'm like everybody else who is just exasperated with what are the rules now? What are the rules tomorrow? What are the rules that we're supposed to follow? And when I, go, when I drive around town and when I go to a grocery store and I see what's going on in a grocery store, what was going on here last Saturday, I can promise you I felt more comfortable in our stadium than I do trying to get groceries. Yeah, Pete, I mean, they're, they're, they're feelings, I think, that would be... Uh felt by a lot of people and would understand exactly your emotion with this at the moment. And what about Gareth Ainsworth? How did he take this news, especially with Saturday's match uh, due to be against his former club QPR? I'm actually disappointed myself because Gareth and I are both two of the most optimistic people on the planet, but I keep getting punched in the stomach, so it's a little hard this morning. Um, Gareth was, at, you know, and, and at its core... It is, it, it, it is what's us, and we will go Saturday. Uh, it's extremely disappointing because Gareth played at QPR. Uh, that's going to be a heck of a home match here at Adams Park, and we wanted 2,000 supporters here to enjoy that one with us um, right before Christmas. Uh, you know, maybe that's, maybe that's a little bit of it as well. Um, you know, we had, we had had fans in here for a couple of matches, and now to get taken away uh, right before the holiday season, um, it's like somebody stole Santa's present from under our tree. Yeah, I mean, look, you, know, you rightly allude to that. Christmas is, is an important time financially for clubs. You, you'd already um, given the tickets or sold the tickets for that QPR game. What, what will the impact be, do you think? I know it's impossible to, to tell where you'll be in two or three months, but financially with Christmas now not being what you thought it was going to be in terms of having those 2,000 fans in the stadium financially, what does it mean for you at Wickham? Uh, not an easy year to be a CFO of a football club. Um, you know, fortunately, we think in scenarios, and, and we're plan trying to plan for everything. Uh, we took a very conservative approach this year because we knew the turnover number wasn't going to be what it would normally be in the championship, so we're prepared as well as we can be. Um, it's, uh, you know, with the 2000 level, it was really just about 
uh, taking care of our, our supporters, our season ticket holders, and getting them in here. You know, one of the things that I worry about are, you know, the unintended consequences of, uh, of, of rules like we have. Um, I just don't think enough. They're so laser-focused on the virus that uh, there's going to be some unintended consequences as a result of locking down people for a year that I don't think we're truly going to know about, uh, especially with the data in, in, until the future. And, and many times, many, many, many times, uh, it's the unintended consequences of governmental public policy uh, that really shapes what people think about the decisions that politicians make. And I just think, uh, again, their job's difficult, uh, but hindsight uh, and the 2020 that hindsight's going to have on this situation, I, I can't wait to see the post-op to see how we should do things differently because I can promise you this, it doesn't feel like we're doing it the right way to me. Really interesting to hear from Wickham Wanderers Chief Financial Officer Pete Coe uh, speaking on Friday, of course, when uh, when Tier 3 was looming. Yes, indeed. Uh, you know, we didn't even know then about Tier 4, but yes, speaking before the QPR game, which is why obviously he was uh, mentioning that, but really interesting to hear from him because as he said you speak to him you speak to gareth they are two of the most positive people going uh and clearly pete was very very angry uh, i've never heard him that cross before uh, still to come on the christmas eve edition of the wicked wanderer show uh, we'll give you another chance to hear uh, our chat with martin o'neill and also we'll uh, look back on some lighter-hearted moments from the show there have been some uh, here at wickham sound love music love talk love wickham sound Welcome back to the second part of the Wickham Wanderer show, Christmas Eve. Happy Christmas. Yeah, I see you say happy Christmas, don't you? Yes, you can. That's yes. right. <laughs> you don't say Merry New Year, though. No, no. Which is strange, because actually that would be far more appropriate, the state that most people are in. Uh, still to come on this special show, we'll look back at some uh, light-hearted moments from uh, the, the shows that we've done, including uh, Bob's driving, um, uh, <laughs> some, some other, other interesting use of language as well. That's... That's to come. Uh, but but uh, also, I must say a big thank you and happy Christmas to uh, Alan Hutchinson and JDT, uh, the Ex-Players Association, who have been fantastic with us in um, sorting us out with some uh, some brilliant interviews uh, over the past few weeks. And thank you also to Matt Cecil and all at Wickham Wanderers uh, for giving us access, uh, for allowing me to attend to the games uh, during lockdown. We are very, very grateful uh, for all that they have done. Time now, though, to play our favourite interview that we have done so far on the Wickham Wanderers show. Um, when Colin spoke to none other than Mark Martin O'Neill. Uh, we spoke to him just after uh, a rather appropriate game against Nottingham Forest. Really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for, for speaking to us. And really timely that, that we speak to you in the week of Wickham Wanderers played Nottingham Forest in the, in the second tier of English football, something which I guess you couldn't have imagined you know, 25 years ago when you were in charge at Adams Park, or perhaps, perhaps that was something that, that you thought would be possible. Well, I, I think that naturally our ambition was to try and uh, become a football league team. Wickham Wanderers I went down there in the year 1990, and uh, the, obviously they were a very, a very strong Vauxhall Conference side at the time. But um, you know, life was changing as as it as it does. I think that uh, the, the wonderful, wonderful amateur record, Wickham, and um, uh, some terrific history as well too. The old Lokes Park Stadium, but things were changing. You know, at the time, Ivor Beeks uh, had become chairman, very, very ambitious, wanting to drive on. And Adams Park was being built at the time. Lokes Park was going to finish, which was a bit of history. And I was sorry to see it go, that old sloping, that old sloping pitch. But uh, nevertheless, it was, uh, it was a new dawn, as it were. And of course, ambition, ambition was actually quite high. So uh, the job, the, the remit for me was, I, I think, if I, was to try and get the team into the, uh, into the Football League. Is what you achieved then, is it comparable to, to getting into the Championship? Now, obviously, it's so different and, and the team obviously being part-time and going to, to full-time as well. Well, I think that, that, that what we had, we just, uh, when we became a Football League team, we had, we had, obviously it, was, it, was, uh, it had been tough. Uh, my first year, we won the, the FA Trophy, which is something that Ivor always wanted to achieve. And that was great. And I was as, as genuinely as delighted for him as I was for myself. Of course, and and uh, and the players. So uh, we pushed on, and uh, we ended up the same number of points as Colchester, who had uh, who had been relegated a couple of years before that from the Football League itself, but had been able to retain 
professional status and uh, all the players were f- sorry full-time status so we were it was a it was a struggle all year we ended up with both with 94 points i think the third team had catering i think at about 70 points so for us to miss out in goal difference there was really really tough to take but the players come back with a fantastic attitude we ended up winning the double and hence taking ourselves into the football league now this is the point that i wanted to make is that our first season we went up through the playoffs, beating no less a side than, uh, than Preston North End. And uh, the following year, we were in with the likes of Birmingham City and teams like that. And this was all very, very new to us, new to the players. And that's, that's, I think that's the only year where one team would go up automatically into, the, into what is now the championship and four teams would contest the playoffs. And we finished sixth again in our first year in the what would be called now the first division. So we went very, very close. And had we gone into the playoffs, who knows? Our record was really good in that. Um, we, might have, we might have made it into the championship uh, and in two consecutive years. However, it didn't, it didn't materialise. As I said, we finished sixth. And I think Huddersfield Town, for instance, I think might, might have been one of the teams that went up along with Birmingham City, who went up automatically. So those are the time teams that we were competing against at that particular stage. It was a great, it was great, great experience. So the comparisons, I think, are, would be there. Of course, the same contrast could, could uh, you could imagine as well. But the achievement of um, of the team now today has been absolutely fantastic, really, really fantastic. So I think that we did all have an ambition to try and and as go up as far as we possibly could in 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 um, in the English league. But uh, to wait that length of time now to achieve that in the championship was uh, uh, really remarkable. Did it feel like a big step up? Because we spoke to Glenn Creaser recently on the, the show and he was saying it was it was like an ambition fulfilled when you offered him a full-time contract because obviously he had a, a, all the players had, had other jobs at the time as well and then, and then to compete in the football league as well. Well, well it was. Well, well first of all, uh, let me say about Glenn Creaser, my first uh, couple of weeks at, um, at Wickham way back in 1990 was to try and convince Glenn Creaser to stay at the football club and that, and having a meeting with him one night in Bisham Abbey, as we did our training at the at night time down in the plastic surfaces at Bisham Abbey, was as uh, as big an achievement as I as I terrific with the players as well too. You know, and all the players looked up to him immensely, and uh, he was a big big driving force. So I think he had been tapped up by Barry Barry Fry again at at Barnet, and there was a possibility he could earn more money and such things like this here at at. Uh, at Barnet, but he decided to stay w- with us, which was terrific, and uh, hopefully he, d- he didn't regret it. So at the age, I think, what, what, what age was he, about 30 or 31, for him to come in and want to become a full-time professional footballer when we made it into the Football League, again, was a big moment. And I think some of the players would have followed uh, uh, Glenn as well, too, in, 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 in that aspect. Everybody, I think, I think only Mark West, uh, who decided, you know, his his particular job, and perhaps maybe didn't want to do it, uh, become a full time uh, professional. And by the way, West was also a terrific footballer uh, for us. His goal in the uh, against Kidderminster, uh, where he uh, at, at Wembley to win the um, to win the FA Trophy, I think just epitomised him. Um, but the players um, all became professional players, and I, again found the step up unbelievably difficult to begin with. But as the early weeks disappeared into, into months of that particular season, uh, we got a grip of things. And to, uh, to be fair, I don't think we were actually ever out of the top six or seven for most of the season. It was such an attacking, attractive football as well to watch. Uh, reminded recently, speaking to, to JDT from the Ex-Players Association, who, as I'm sure you know, put together this, this fantastic video of you, of you speaking in 2012 at the, the Veer Suite, and there are clips in there of, of that first game against Carlisle, and, and it's, it's so fantastic to, to sort of recall the, the great performances and, and a fantastic group of players as well from that time. Uh, absolutely. And in terms of attitude, in terms of, in terms of enthusiasm, in terms of enjoyment, I, I I would put it up there. I would put my time at Wickham uh, alongside any any uh, my time at uh, at Aston Villa, my time at uh, Celtic, and my time at uh, my time at Leicester City. Uh, there, 
there was a fantastic camaraderie. I know it's an overused word, but it really was. It was uh, evocative of the team. They were willing to fight for each other the whole time. But there was an enjoyment during our training sessions as well. And we, I mean, we weren't blessed with any great training ground or anything like this here. We we tried different places. We finally settled up at Homer Green for a while where there was a, 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 a man and his wife looked after us very, very well. And they were terrific to us. And um, after training, the buns and the sandwiches would come out. We just, it was, honestly, it really was a super, super time for us. And, and, and of course, with the results going well on the pitch, that helps immensely. And uh, I, th- I look back on that there with really fond memories. And so many positions as well where, where you think, oh, fantastic players, you know, in goal, people like John Granville and Paul Hyde, a fantastically strong back line as well. People like Steve Guppy, Dave Carroll, uh, you know, they were all, you know, fantastic to watch. Keith Scott, you mentioned Mark West as well. Some, some fantastic players and, and, and really great sort of Saturday afternoon to spend watching the team. Oh, you, you, you've mentioned all of those players. All of those players played an enormous part in, in proceedings. Absolutely. They were terrific footballers and I, I think really underrated. And by that, I mean, when I, when I went to Wickham, first of all, we, we had Lynn Creaser, Matty Crosley, the Stevie Guppy, Andy Kerr, and the three back players that I'm talking about. I'm talking about uh, uh, Crosley, a uh, super player, and uh, Andy Kerr and uh, Glenn Creaser. All were magnificent in the air, really, really magnificent. I thought to myself, well, I've got a real chance here because these, these players can head the ball. And I've been at, I've been at Grantham a couple of leagues below that there for a little while. And um, these players here at Wickham were, were, were on a different level. So unfortunately, or, or fortunately for me, I, I got the job because they had, had been, they'd, have been, they'd been on a bit of a bad run, culminating in being, and losing in the FA Trophy to the Metropolitan Police. And I think things got, uh, got a bit scary for a while. But uh, but the players themselves, uh, when I arrived down there, they they just they, they just needed a bit of confidence building as much as anything else. Stevie Guppy goes on to play for England, and on, on one occasion that's a remarkable achievement. Davy Carroll, players like this. Finally, during the summertime, Keith Ryan uh, joined us. His cousin brought him to the to uh, pre-season. Never looked back. Simon Stapleton. I can go through the whole team. They were ter- just terrific footballers. And you must be so pleased with the support as well uh, that increased the, sort of the longer that you were there as well. So it's, so it's great atmospheres at Adams Park and away as well. And obviously you mentioned the, the FA Trophy final against Kidderminster. It just felt like the whole town had gone and, you know, you turn up at the station, you see people that you live with or, or live near. And there are people at the ground that you used to go to school with. And it, it was a really brilliant feeling to get behind the team and such a great day, day out. Oh, uh, absolutely. Yes. Uh, remarkable. I think it was the biggest crowd ever for a... Uh for um, an FA Trophy final. I, th- I think the Kidderminster game, I think there was about so either 35 or 37,000 people at the game and uh, we brought about 25,000 people. It was just, it, it really was fantastic for us and, uh, and for the fans to be there that particular day to enjoy it, for us to, to go on to win the game and achieve something at that stage. And of course, that became the springboard for the success that followed. So on, on a Saturday, you know, I'd be sort of stood on the terrace amongst a group of people who, who'd be saying, you know, Martin, give us a wave, Martin. And you would, and you would wave and everyone would cheer. That'd be great. I, I, is that something you're always pleased to do? Or were there days when you thought, well, I don't, don't, don't really want to wave today. I'd, I'd rather oh, focus on the game, to be honest. Oh, no, no. Uh, I, I'd rather had uh, somebody shouting, Martin, give us a wave than tell Martin to, you know, to, to go and... Uh... Uh, and stick the team somewhere else or something like that. But uh, no, not at all. Absolutely not. The f- it, it was great for the fans to actually to, to want to participate in it and, and, and to actually enjoy it. And for, for most of the times, we really did enjoy it. Of, co- of course, there, there are moments there where um, it didn't go so well for us. And one of the couple of fans behind me, uh, I, remember a, I remember a gentleman once, it was really funny, uh, an oldish man. He stood. He stood pretty close to where uh, where the teams come out, just to the right hand side, almost like like a little enclosure in there. And I I forget his name. We'll call him Fred at this moment. I, I'm sure he's long passed away. But um, we had. I think we we drew we drew a game with Kidderminster at home, two two. It was really very very good game. And. I think that that's, at that stage of the 21 home games, I think we'd taken about 57 points out of, out of a possible 63, but we'd drawn this day. 
And as we walk past, as we walk past going, obviously disappointed, I think we can see that late goal. I remember him saying to me, uh, O'Neill, that's just not good enough. <laughs> and I turned and I had a, a, a bit of a go at him. I said, what are you talking about? Not good enough. That's just not good enough, you know, for us. And I said to him, thinking because he was in that little enclosure, he might have had a, a, a free ticket. And I said, did you pay to get in here? And he said, of course I did. I said, well, you're entitled to criticize. You're fine. <laughs> Absolutely. Because I thought if he'd had a freebie, he, he wouldn't have been entitled to to give us that sort of criticism. But because he, he had had he paid his money, he, he could say what he wanted. And that was and, and eventually didn't feel like a problem to me when I get into the dressing room. It's great to get the opportunity to obviously to speak to. I'm sure many fans, you know, will have heard you speaking on, on TV and stuff like that. But we, as I say, we spoke to uh, Glenn Creaser and, and Terry Evans as well, and said, you know, what's it like to, to play under him? And, and Terry Evans made a great comment. He said, uh, "Well, it could be very tough sometimes. He, he could ruin you with just a sentence, which, <laughs> which I think is a fantastic." And we mentioned the, the video that's um, that's on on YouTube with um, JDT, and there's a fantastic story you tell about uh, one of your players who, who you told to get to get warmed up because br- you're bringing him off, which, <laughs> which. <laughs> Yeah, that that was uh, that, uh, strangely enough, that was actually a very very good player. That was John Hartson, and uh, John was um, John Hartson was a, a terrific footballer, really really great goal scorer inside the penalty area. But he was, John was a wee bit lazy. He would always say to me, "My job is to score goals, and that's fine." So we didn't worry too much about him playing outside the penalty area. But when I went in there, uh, he scored goals, and uh, alongside Henrik Larsson and Chris Sutton, he was he, he formed a, a big part of Celtic's team. But he was rather lazy, and there was moments in the game where I wanted him to do a little bit more. And after about 15 or 20 minutes in one particular game, he actually hadn't touched the ball. And so I remember shouting over to him, in a, almost in a, a joking fashion, you know, I was, uh, saying to him, John, get warmed up, you're coming off. <laughs> and um, he didn't take it all that kindly either, uh, believe it or not. And he was a big fellow as well, too. So I, I, I know I, um, I didn't want to really face up to him at half time in the game. But you mentioned Terry Evans there. Terry was, Terry was another player. I remember Jason Cousins, who was a great player for us. Jason, I picked up on a free transfer from, from Brentford. And Jason was, uh, again, integral part of, of, of the success that we had. But he mentioned to me about Terry Evans, and Terry wasn't too happy down at Brentford at the time. The two of them had been good friends. And, and I thought that there might be an opportunity to bring Terry to the football club. And so... We paid, I think we paid £40,000 for him, which was a, a lot of money for us at the time. And Terry started off, he um, first couple of games, because he hadn't played so regularly uh, for Brentford in the, in the previous couple of months, he, he, didn't, he didn't start off too cleverly for us and really did play quite poorly for a, a couple of games. But I remember saying to him, Terry, uh, uh, what, what is up? He said, oh, he's just, he said, oh, Gaffer, just give me a little bit of time. He said, my timing's off at the moment. I remember him saying that, my timing's off. And I thought to myself, well, that's not just the only thing that's off at this minute. You know, everything else doesn't seem to be all that clever. But anyway, he pulled himself around. We stayed with him and, um, and then... Uh, as I've often said, carried the team for about the next 18 months. He was he was absolutely super. Came in at a time as well too when Glenn Creaser had picked up a very serious injury himself. He was uh, he was massive for us in every aspect of the word. Absolutely <laughs> big big character, big in the dressing room again, and uh, great leader. You mentioned the achievement of getting into the championship a short time ago. It must have been fantastic for you to be at the, the Rotherham game, the, the very first game in the championship. And you know what I, I it was it was a couple of things about that one delighted to be to be asked down I got a text message from Gareth saying uh, would you would you be interested in coming to the game or absolutely uh, then I got in touch with uh, uh, the young lady and uh, she she uh, told me what to do and so obviously with COVID and things like this here so um, you had to be careful so I got tested and then I went, uh, I went round the back of the stadium, which I hadn't been there for a long, long time, and up and took my seat up in the uh, on the on the big stand on the far side, which really strange, really, because I was uh, I was watching the game from a completely uh, different perspective. And the fact that I, as a manager of the football club, I always walked out from the uh, um, the smaller stand now, as it were, from the um, maybe it's even called the main stand. 
but um, you know, from the dressing room side. So to look at the stadium, uh, to not only to look at the stadium, but to look at the pitch from the other side of the uh, of the ground was was really strange for a while. But anyway, the uh, the the team itself fought remarkably hard. I thought to myself, well, I'll 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 let everybody stay and have their own time to each other. The the people were very welcoming to me on the far side, very welcoming indeed. And I left with just about a minute to go. And I got into the car and just switched on the news, just thinking, well, that that's that at least that's a draw, it's a point in the board. And uh, to find out that Rotherham had scored the late equaliser or scored the late winner in the game, and uh, a massive disappointment. So. Uh, but overall, just to be down there for that game was, was again, a lovely experience for me. This is Wickham Sound. Welcome back to the Christmas Eve edition of the Wickham Wanderers show. I hope you're enjoying our chat with Martin O'Neill. Still to come, some lighter parts of the show, including Bob's trip to Norwich. It's funny that I made it sound. Uh, also, though, uh, we're catching up with uh, Martin O'Neill. Uh, fantastic to have time to speak with him, uh, getting his thoughts on how he thinks Wickham will do in the Championship. He was actually at their first Championship game against Rotherham, which was fantastic as well. Uh, we caught up with him just after the team played Nottingham Forest, another of his former clubs, of course. And also, it was just after uh, the news that uh, John Reardon had died, his former assistant. And uh, we got his reaction, and uh, he paid a fantastic tribute uh, to John Reardon. Uh, uh, John, uh, I'm I'm so sad to hear the news. Really, have I? I know that uh, that he had uh, uh, problems in the last couple of years of his life. I think that uh, I think that uh, Alzheimer's was uh, was afflicting him. But he was uh, when you talk about characters at the at the football club or any football club, uh, he was an absolute character in every aspect and initially i i suppose maybe uh, when i went to the football club first of all john reardon was kind of thrust upon me in that sense in the nicest possible way but uh, i ever said oh listen he'll be a great he'll be a great sounding board he'll be all of those things and i suppose uh, me being a young rather impetuous and wanting to do things on my own i didn't really want perhaps i didn't really want people thrust upon me I'd rather me make the decisions well i've got to tell you after a while, I was absolutely delighted with him. Delighted to have his company. He was terrific. He was he was funny. He was strong, strong character as well too. Really strong. Didn't take nonsense from the players either, and would join in in some of the games. And now, John was you know um, a, a reasonable age at the time. Join in the matches. Take all the hits as well too from the players coming flying in at him. Dust himself down and get on with things. And uh, uh, really, really as brave as a lion. So I saw all of those things remarkably up close that he possessed as a footballer. And of course, I mean, he, he had a good record himself as a, as a manager. But he, uh, you know, to say that he was a sounding board would be, would be doing him a disservice. He became a really, really good friend. I genuinely loved him dearly. I thought, uh, I thought he was great for, uh, great for the football club, magnificent for the football club. And really great for me as well too. Really sorry to 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 hear the news. Genuinely. And what would be your message to to Wickham fans about their perhaps expectations in the championship? Obviously, it was it was quite disappointing to go on such a, a losing run, but to get the first point, to get the first goal, to get the first win, it's been a, a real kind of. It feels like a corner's been turned. Well, if the, if the fans had been allowed into the stadium, you, you know, uh, for a couple of the certainly particularly some of the early games i think that that would that would definitely have helped because the crowd would have been right with the team and perhaps maybe that game against rotherham it could have turned the corner in fact perfectly honest wickham could have won the game dead easily but it was always going to be difficult this season really difficult the championship is a step up and it's a big step up as well too and um, there was going to be enjoyment of the season regardless of results but I, I just knew that every single game was go, was going to be a, a, a difficult encounter for them. But there's going to be whatever Wickham lack in certain things. You you could never talk about their their never say die spirit, which was epitomised, of course, at at, at at Wembley in the playoff final. So yeah, I don't think anybody was under any illusion at all that this was this was uh, this was uh, a, a difficult task ahead. 
But for them to get a couple of wins now, which has been really, really terrific, and it'll give them that sort of boost of confidence that every side needs in this league. Losing uh, some games was almost inevitable. Well, it was inevitable. If they can win the requisite number of matches to keep them in this league for this season, I think that would be an enormous achievement. Well, it's been fantastic to speak to you. Really appreciate your time. Hope you hope you and your family are staying well and the lockdown's been kind to you. Have you have you been doing lots of Zoom calls, I imagine? I've been doing a few uh, Zoom calls, yes, Colin, I have, and yet re- remarkably still finding it difficult to 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 press the the, the right buttons here. But uh, I think that I, I'm the more I do, the more I'm getting used to it. L- listen, just to, to cap it all, I had, uh, I had the time of my life as a manager of Wickham Wanderers Football Club and so had my family as well too. My wife and daughters um, look back on those days with really fond memories, genuinely fond memories. And my, my two daughters on the pitch at Wembley carrying little flags and, and uh, after um, one of our victories was, uh, was moments that we'll treasure forever. You mentioned that video. It must be so nice to sort of look back and, as you say, the opportunity to see your daughters on the pitch. And I know they went to school locally as well. And it must mm-hmm. be really nice to kind of look back on that time. I do, of course. Yeah, they haven't they they haven't seen it yet. I I've, I've deliberately kept the, kept them away from it at the moment. But if we can, if if lockdown improves and we can all get together again, they're obviously living their own lives at this moment. But if we can, if there was if there was a Brecon proceedings and 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 Christmas. If we, if people can gather together at Christmas time, it would be nice to look at it. Absolutely, but um, wonderful days, and and as I say, lovely, uh, lovely memory of, of it all. And I know you know so many Wickham supporters are so so you know pleased and proud for you that you know you've gone on to to manage such such great teams and have such success at you know as you say Leicester and Celtic and, and Villa as well, and obviously at international level as well. It's been it's been fantastic to to follow your career too. Well, you know, some of these things may not have, have materialised at all had I not been given this opportunity. And uh, there are lots of people down at, at Wickham that I have to thank for that, naturally. Uh, Alan Parry for, for helping me get um, uh, getting an interview, even though it was a late stage and, and a decision had been made. But uh, I think it was um, Kenny Swain. Uh, Kenny had been offered the job on the Sunday and uh, turned it down on the Monday. And then I got uh, the interview on the Tuesday with Ivor, and uh, so Ivor took me uh, took me on and took me on board. So a lot of the things you never know might not have materialised had it not got that opportunity. And um, but as I say, it was uh, a wonderful four or five years of my life, and uh, absolutely and utterly no regrets at all at, at any stage, at any stage at all of that there. And I know that my family. Really loved those days, and I've real fond memories of the football club. Couldn't possibly uh, feel any other way. Are you hoping for a return to the dugout soon? Oh, we'll, we'll have a look at that. Yes, COVID uh, uh, is determining a lot of uh, uh, in people's lives at this moment. Let's see what what might materialise. I really appreciate your time. It's been fantastic to speak to you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. It's a pleasure, Colin. No problem. Thank you very much to Martin O'Neill. And thank you to you as well, Colin, because that was a great interview. Uh, I enjoyed it the first time. I enjoyed it even more the second time. And Marty, you could just listen to him all day. It's really nice to actually listen back, isn't it? It is. Uh, I, I think almost, could we come up with a virtual Martin O'Neill so that we could all have him, you know, rather than the <laughs> annoying Siri voice that I have? Couldn't we have, like, Martin O'Neill doing that instead? That would be excellent. Fantastic to speak to Sergio Torres. Uh, John Maskell was a favourite. Keith Scott and Glenn Creaser obviously were, were players that I sort of went to see early on in my Wickham Wanderers viewing career. Oh, Glenn Creaser, he was a good one that as well. He was the first. Yes, yeah. But Len Worley, of course, uh, fantastic names. We've got more uh, great former players to come as well in, in the future, so make sure you keep listening for that. Uh, another great aspect of the show, people have said that they like the elements of humour. <laughs> yes, which was an unintended consequence uh, of the programme. Yeah, uh, I didn't realise there was humour, to be honest. No. Well, you know, I, I think that mainly comes from you, probably. Uh, I think you're the sort of, you're the Eric Morecambe of the of the programme. I think you'll find, as, as you'll hear coming up, you're, you're the source of much well, of Well, yes, well, that's what I mean, though. It's, you know, it, it, it's more you laughing at me than the other way around. But that's fine. I'm, I'm quite happy with that. So we've got some... <laughs> well, that's a relief. <laughs> Otherwise, the next few minutes can be quite painful. So there are, <laughs> there are many times in the that's show That's it, I'm where, going. Where... It's Christmas Eve, but I'm walking out. <laughs> oh, don't go. Uh, there are many moments in the show. It's going to be like Den and Angie all over again. I think the thing about a show is you've got to get off to a good start. Yes. You've got to be ready, haven't you? Yeah. Ready? Yes. Here's Bob. Very ready. Good evening and welcome to the latest episode of the Wickham Wanderer Show. See, I've officially off top counting now. Uh, indeed, yes. 
Uh, uh, so, sorry, I was momentarily... Uh, uh, We've started, by the way. I know, I know. I'm sorry. I was momentarily distracted by the, uh, the amount of goals that Brentford have already scored this season. <laughs> it is uh, a concern, I it? thinking, hang on, really? 17? It does sound a lot when you say yeah, like that. I know, indeed. They've only played 11 guys, and they're 11th as well. It's not like they're, they're leading the, you know, leading the league or anything. In case you've just tuned in, we can play Brentford next. Indeed, yes, just absolutely. Sorry. <laughs> I, I will be more on the ball for the next uh, 58 minutes. So just been doing minutes. some on-air research for the game. <laughs> yes, not that we do our, our research right at the very last moment. No, we don't. Well, some of it we do. <laughs> Such as looking up the number of goals that Brentford had scored. It's nice, isn't it? You've got to pay attention from the get-go, I think. Yeah, indeed. Sorry about that. I, I, I do feel bad. Although, arguably, there, are, there have been occasions where you've paid a little too much attention, even before the show's properly Well, yes, oh, yes, yes, that's true. Well, it's a football show, so we're allowed to talk about other football things. And in football, Rangers are on course to top their Europa League group. They're leading 1-0 at Lech Poznan. Meanwhile, Arsenal are 2-1 up against Dundalk. That's the latest. I'm Laura Safe. Online, on Radio Player, and on 106.6 FM. This is Wickham Sound, the Wickham Wanderers Show. A very good evening. Welcome along to the latest edition. See, I'll stop counting uh, of the Wickham Wanderers Show. Is it 14? I think it's 14. I think it is. Can I, can I just say, I like the fact that the newsreader sounded really surprised that Arsenal are beating Dundalk. <laughs> you, you think, well, they're, they're, they're a League of Ireland side. Really, Arsenal should be beating them. <laughs> Thanks for that. <laughs> Apologies if you're listening on the podcast, because that'll make no sense at all. <laughs> oh, no, I've thrown Colin now as well. Yeah, no, uh, so it's fine. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I think it's fair enough for us to be commenting on football things as they happen during the show. Yeah, of course. Uh, you know, I know it's the Wicked Wanderer show, but yep. we can talk about other football things just in a minor way. <laughs> off, off topic, as they say on, on email things. <laughs> they do say that, don't they? They do, yes. So, <laughs> anyway, as you were saying... <laughs> A very good evening, and yes, you have stopped counting the number of shows, which is good. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> coming up this evening, we'll, re- we'll review, we'll find out how Arsenal and Dundalk are getting on throughout the evening. I'm all for spontaneity, but... <laughs> <laughs> they won 4-2 in the end. Are you a fan of Dundalk now? Uh, yes, sir, yeah, definitely, yes. <laughs> I look forward to seeing you in a Dundalk shirt. One of the highlights of doing the show, actually, probably must be for you as well, they actually get to go to the games. It's, it's very exciting, that, but also slightly fraught with danger. Some of them are quite far away. They are, yes. And some of them you've not been to before. That's that's true as well. So you need to take extra care when getting there. Some of them begin with the same word, uh, which can be a bit confusing. There's a lot of bees in the championship. There are, yes. Because again, I'm lucky enough that I am going up to Blackpool. Uh, sorry, Blackburn even on Saturday. Maybe Blackpool as well. Uh, not Blackpool. Well, you never know. Uh, might on be your on tour course. of the north. Yes, you know. I mean, if COVID Who knows happened, where you'll end up? Exactly. Uh, you never know. There's lots of bees in the championship. I don't think Blackpool are one of them, though, are they? <laughs> no, I don't think they are. Uh, but you can understand me, me getting confused. And then, uh, actually, a clip that we haven't got was you then thinking that Barnsley was to the was it to the left of Manchester. Oh, I was geographically a bit lost yes, by you Barnsley. Were. Yeah, yeah. It's a good job that we didn't send you to Barnsley. Another bee, of course. Yes. Um, and the, then also there's the fact that actually when I drive to these places, sometimes I, I'm slightly, uh, I have confessed previously to bad driving habits. Are you going to Norwich? I am going to Norwich, yes. That's an expression you don't hear very often. <laughs> Ooh, are. No, do, no, do you know sorry, the way? That's very stereotyped, I'm sorry, I didn't say that. Do you know the way? Um, uh, just about, yes. It's a long way, isn't it? It is a long way. And also, it, you know, it's a real pain because um, the, the, there aren't really motorways uh, in, no. in that bit of the, the world. So you have to... It, uh, this is going to sound awful. You have to concentrate a bit more, if you know what I mean. Watch out if you're on the roads and you see... <laughs> because there's roundabouts and stuff whereas, roundabouts you know, good lord whereas you know when you're going to Blackburn it's fine because you just get on the M40 and basically it's motorways all the way so you can just sit there and you know and you don't really have to think too much whereas going to Norwich too many roundabouts if Bob's not on the show next week you might <laughs> <laughs> well, well, didn't I... concentrate nearly enough <laughs> how on earth did you make it back to and back from Preston uh, just about yeah all of the north west ones uh, though it's a bit of a pain uh, you know they're fine but yeah Norwich is, is, is difficult to get to have you got a favourite place you've been to so far on your away travels? Ooh, I say um, favourite must be hard to pick. Well, pro- probably Birmingham because obviously we won. So, so you know how it is that actually the journey home always seems a lot shorter when you win. Uh, whereas, yeah, uh, press or the Blackburn, Blackburn was a long way home. City Ground must have been good to go to as well. Yes, that was good, yeah. But obviously, again, we lost there. So, and so Norwich? Derby, Derby was quite good. Norwich, because you had to concentrate. Yes, so Norwich, because I had to concentrate. Derby as well, because obviously Wayne Rooney was there, because, of course, they're not called Derby anymore. They're called Wayne Rooney's Derby. Uh, but that was a bit weird when he was then just hanging about at the end being interviewed by like one Derby bloke, and there was just me and Phil Catchpole waiting uh, for Gareth Ainsworth to come out. And, you know, uh, we were the only 
five people sort of like in the stadium. And it, it was just a bit like, this is this is one of those weird times. I didn't think that I'd be standing sort of like in a group of five people with Wayne Rooney. Social distancing, of course. Um, anyway, uh, it's time now for an apology to Gareth, uh, because in the, uh, the, the last away game, uh, against the AFC Bournemouth I was interviewing him and there was this odd moment where he said something and he looked away at the same time um, and, and, and it was the way that he said it I thought that he'd said something he shouldn't have done but it turns out he didn't we've got our identity back we're making noises in this league and I want to make the biggest noise by causing the biggest upset to all the bookies in the world and staying in the championship I have to edit that bit out uh, <laughs> bookies he said I don't quite know what I think he said I don't think he thought he knew what he said. I'm trying to work out what I must have thought bookies were, but it was the way he sort of like turned away, which he doesn't normally do. And he said, bookies! And he said it in a, in a quite a cross way as well. So, so I thought, oh dear, okay. But you're right to be on your guard after Scott Indeed, I was going to say, yes. So this did come after the, after the Birmingham City Scott Cashcat incident. Scotty, how, how was that? It was fantastic. Yeah, very good to get the win. Another win what we deserved. Um, watching the ball hit the net... And then looking at the clock and thinking 90th minute, it was like, oh, that bloody time we got a bit blurred. <laughs> Thank you for that, Scott. Good guest appearance from the lawnmower as well. Yes, yeah, we've had quite a lot of lawnmowers actually in the background. Um, in this, this next clip, I think you can possibly hear, well, uh, Ryan also was desperately trying to put off the people who were being interviewed. So this interview took place in the car park um, after the Derby game. Uh, and Ryan also wasn't, for some reason, he wasn't then travelling back with the rest of the team. So he was in a car uh, and, and kept uh, hooting the horn. I don't think you actually hear the horn in this bit. I think it made an appearance in my Pete Kuhig interview. Um, but this is when uh, Matt Bloomfield was, was inventing a new teammate. Um, I know we cleared one off the line from their corner, but um, the big man took one on his chest and, and, and just went wide. And then um, Gareth McCarthy's... Um, McCleary, sorry, Gareth McCleary's strike was was unreal. He's been at the club a long time. It must be confusing. Too. It must be, yeah. You know, McCleary, McCarthy, Jason, Gareth. You can understand the the, the problem. Uh, from earlier on in today's show, uh, the stewards dropping a bit of a clangor. We quite enjoyed this one, and we left it in as well because it made us laugh. Be nice to hear this again. Listen out for the clanging. There's excellent clanging. He's come. Uh, released by Norwich. You've got to give credit to Bob Rickwood and Sam Grace who who put the B team together. You know they. They, uh, they saw Anish, they brought him in on trial. Uh, he shone. Oh, there's the stadium falling apart. <laughs> I don't know, we're, we're okay. Um, I love the way he says we're okay. <laughs> we're just carrying on with this interview. It was about they dropped it directly behind Gareth, so, so I could see that it was about to fall, and he clearly couldn't. And so it, it did give him a bit of a shock, and he did slightly jump in the air, which is why I think he then clarified that we're okay. But yeah, that, that was quite good. Of course, there was a point in the season where we didn't have Gareth to speak to after No, game. that's very true. Uh, and actually, um, both Matt Cecil uh, and uh, Dobbo, really, they got a little bit uh, possibly carried away, actually, in, in giving us information we didn't need to know. Um, first of all, um, this is the uh, game where Gareth wasn't there, which was, of course, a surprise. So I, I caught up with Matt Cecil before the kickoff to ask him actually what was going on. I don't think there's anything in particular uh, that's prompted it, but... Um... He's the wild thing, isn't he? He's had a rock and roll lifestyle and that's maybe taken its toll as he approaches 50. So, uh, yeah, hopefully he's not listening to this bit. But, um, yeah, no, he's, he's, uh, he's good and I'm sure he'll be leaping around on the touchline before long. Brilliant. OK, so he wasn't lugging an amp or anything like that? <laughs> not that I'm aware of. It might, it might be an embarrassing injury he doesn't want to tell anyone about. Then later, after the Nottingham Forest game, Dobbo revealed quite, quite an interesting fact uh, about Gareth uh, and his wife Donna's relationship that I don't think we needed to know. He kicks every ball when he's standing on the, the touchline. I can't imagine what he must be like at home, particularly, presumably, when he's being told that he's not allowed to do those things at the moment. Yeah, I, I'm hoping Donna's tied him, tied him down at home and, uh, and kept him still because you're right, you know, he's headed so many balls and he's kicked me twice last season. He's actually kicked me as he's trying to kick a pretend ball on the touchline and, and apologised a couple of times. So I'm going to have to start wearing shin pads on the touchline, I think, when he's back. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for that, Dobbo. Yeah, that, 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 that was an interesting image. And the, the final clip now, because you haven't really featured in any of these, uh, uh, but, but I, I wanted to finish on a very positive note. Um, and one thing that we still haven't really discussed properly on this show is the fact that actually you read the football results uh, across the, the whole like, commercial radio network which is it's quite exciting and quite a responsibility. Uh, and you always normally read them in your very best neutral voice. But I did feel that we could slightly detect a little grin when you read this particular one out. Wigan Wanderers 1, Sheffield Wednesday nil. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely that was slightly more emphasising on the win than you would normally do. Yeah, and similarly, I think when you get to like a nil-nil draw or something, or a Wigan defeat, it's, it's, you just want to get it out and then move on. Yeah, did you do a sort of like... Blackburn Rovers 5, 
mm. Wickham Wanderers now. Yeah, not so good. Yeah, in the way that the 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 person who announces the opposition goal scorer at football grounds, you always feel it's like you know, <laughs> yeah. goal scored for uh, <laughs> definitely right, right, number nine, uh, and you think, oh yeah, okay. I used to do the ground, and, and I was going to say, well. and that, that, again, that that's I know I know we're almost out of time, but that, those are two things that we need to speak to you about in the new year is the fact that you do read the football results and that you used to do the announcements at Wickham. Well, that's fantastic. I remember, especially during the uh, the BSE crisis, I announced that uh, beef burgers were being replaced by lamb burgers <laughs> <at> the, <laughs> in the same way that you'd announce the substitution. It's very, very good, the things that you remember. <laughs> the BSE crisis, goodness me. That's going back a bit. It is, yeah. It seems, it seems quite tame to what we're going through I now, really, doesn't say, it? Different crisis now altogether. Uh, so thank you so much for listening. Have a fantastic Christmas. Uh, we'll be back in the new year. Uh, we'll be reviewing the festive fixtures as well. Uh, thank you so much for listening to the Wickham Wanderers show uh, here at Wickham Sound. It's a lot of fun to do. Yes, indeed. Merry Christmas. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you for everyone's nice comments uh, that you've sent in since we started the show in September. Uh, we're not here next week for New Year's Eve, uh, but we will be back on the Wickham Wanderers show uh, from Thursday, the 7th of January at 7pm.